0: Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast where the plan is pieced together. It's popping a bit. You're popping. Oh. Peter picked the podcast from Peter's... It's popping. Yeah. Popping. Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast where the peas pop. Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast. (laughs) Hello... Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast where the plan is... I can't remember what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen, good to see you again. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. How are you? Good, thanks, Sam. Very well. Doing good. Doing well. Father Dave, last time we spoke, you were heading off to the Bungle Bungles and a few other places in Northwestern Australia. Did you get there?
1: No. No. What? No, I, um, I had two weeks holiday. As I said, I was just going to spend two weeks sleeping. and You forgot to wake up? Well, no, I got, it was kind of one of those things. I think God was actually telling me to change the plan because the closer I got to it, I thought, I'm just not going to go. I'm just going to go camping close to somewhere in Darwin. So I changed my plan. I went camping down by the beach, had two days there, was going to keep going further. But then thought, the car I, had...
2: I, I thought beach camping in Darwin is like, just making yourself crocodile bait?
1: Well, yeah, this was uh, on a small cliff above the beach. So I was, any crocodile would have had to be rock climbing.
2: So if any crocodile managed to get to you, they deserved you.
1: Yes, yeah. But as it was, the uh, car had significant problems battery problems and then I got the battery working then the car overheated and so at that point I thought I'm really glad I didn't take that back road through the desert that I was planning to take. Mm. Yeah so it was a much more relaxing holiday than it would have been. It would have been quite stressful. It would
2: have been a real bungle.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Glad you're still with us. Yeah so am I. Uh, Today I've been looking forward to this podcast for quite some time. We've been discussing doing a podcast on what the mass is. Maybe Father Dave I can start with One simple question of what do you think the greatest misunderstanding is of the Mass?
1: (laughs) Where do we start? I I think people just generally misunderstand the Mass. They (laughs) they just have no idea what it is and what we're doing. Mm. You know, I Mm. think we mentioned this last time when we spoke about the Eucharist, that most people don't really get it. Particularly if you get brought up Catholic, you just follow along with what everyone else is doing. You just assume that we go to this church we sit on really uncomfortable chairs we listen to bad music played through an organ and we just sit up and stand down and kneel and listen to a boring homily then we leave whereas really we need to understand that what we're engaging with is the heavenly liturgy basically to understand what what's going on in heaven is reflected to us symbolically or you know, ritually through the mass that's probably the biggest misunderstanding people have we think it's a, a place to go along listen to a nice moral teaching you know, gather with our community and then go home. But we forget that actually we're stepping into heaven and we're meant to be transformed by that and then walk out Mm. as heavenly
0: people. So the mass itself, the structure of it is taken from scripture. Every aspect of the mass can be found in scripture but then the entirety of the mass is also found in revelation in that heavenly liturgy as well Mm. so there's kind of that that twofold basis for the mass it's both the heavenly liturgy but then also the aspects within it are also found throughout liturgy as well Uh, sorry throughout scripture
1: yeah 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 and and i think this is the classic thing where it's It's the fulfillment of the Jewish tradition, really. So the two key elements of the Mass, you've got the the reading of the Word. It talks all through Scripture how the disciples would gather at the temple a number of times a day to pray the Psalms, and they would, you know, read the Word of God together. The other key side of that is the Feast of the Passover, which was the whole celebration of God's deliverance out of the slavery in Egypt. And that becomes fulfilled in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross been the fulfillment of the passover and so in the acts of the apostles you then have the disciples going to the temple to pray but then going home for the breaking of the bread as they referred to it they're basically walking this line between both traditions really they're they're still engaged in the jewish way of opening the scriptures but then understanding this whole fulfillment of the passover uh, but then as you say sam as their understanding developed they became more explicit in their way of explaining that this is then also what we see in heaven. So when when John writes the book of Revelation, the whole thing of the book of Revelation is about this unveiling. You know, so if you lift the veil between heaven and earth, you start to see what's really going on above us the whole time. Everyone thinks the word apocalypse means the end of the world, but it actually just means unveiling. Mm -hmm. And so when the veil is lifted, what John sees is... This image of heaven where you've got this lamb looks as though it's been sacrificed and yet it's still alive. So it's, it's the image of the crucified and risen Christ standing on an altar with everyone gathered around in worship as Sam once again holds up for us the picture he held up last time, which is of that book, The Lamb's Supper by Scott Harm.
0: This one's from Archbishop Porteus though. Oh, okay. Same, yeah. same. Color, this is different, different, book. different, yeah. But
1: yeah, it, it's that classic same image painting. of the heavenly worship of Christ pouring out his life in worship to the father. And all of us are uniting our worship with his. So basically the, the mass is a prayer between Jesus and the father. It's the most perfect prayer. It's the most perfect sacrifice. And we are invited to become participants in that. We, we unite ourselves with that prayer.
0: And there is a very significant difference between a Catholic or Orthodox mass and a non-denominational or ecclesial movement worship, and, and that mm-hmm. being the sacrifice. Yeah, and for this reason, that's why we have priests and they would not. The role of a priest is to offer that sacrifice.
1: And and the key thing, like when we talk about this word liturgy, so so we always talk about the masses a liturgy. Basically, that just means like a public work. But But really, the way we talk about this is that a liturgical prayer is something which Christ does. So very different to private prayer. So in my private prayer, I can talk to Jesus or I can sing praise songs to Jesus. But in a liturgical prayer, it's actually Jesus who's praying. And, and this is where we've got to have a bit of an understanding of the Trinity, that the Trinity basically is engaged in this constant act of love. You know, Father loving the Son, Son loving the Father and the Holy Spirit being the love between them. Now, we don't really understand that because it's God and we're not meant to fully understand this. Basically, what we're engaged with here is that this is Jesus offering the perfect prayer because he is his God. He's the sinless one. By virtue of our baptism, we are able to be part of his prayer. We're able to give voice to his prayer. And so, then, so when you talk about the difference between a Catholic liturgy, and just like a normal prayer service like they're they're just not even in the same league mm. you know because when i pray myself i'm you know just a very ordinary broken sinner you know and and i'm a finite being i'm a, cre- I'm a creation my prayer is very very low <laughs> on this broad scheme of things but when jesus prays you know it is the most perfect offering it is the most perfect prayer mm. so when you go to mass we refer to ourselves as being the body of Christ. We we actually become part of Christ praying, you know. So that so the priest is actually giving giving over his mouth to speak the words of Jesus, you know. He 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 stands in the person of Christ to speak that prayer of worship to the Father, and so it's actually Jesus doing the work.
2: Remember, beginning a revelation, John says he sees Jesus, or maybe chapter one. Uh, one like the Son of Man with a with a tongue that was two edged sword, which confused me for a long time. So, what 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 does that even mean? Better commentary saying this is an allusion to the Old Testament priesthood and the New Testament priesthood, where the Old Testament priests offered the sacrifice with knives, actually killing lambs and things, and the New Testament priesthood offer an an even more perfect sacrifice, but by using words, the the words of Jesus.
3: Mm. Mm, there you go. Nailed
2: it. Right, Nailed nice.
1: It. Done. <laughs> going back to your original point, Sam, I think when you say what's the biggest misunderstanding of the mass, I, I, I think, like I say, it's just that most people have no idea that that's what's going on.
0: I did have the thought only a few months ago that if I genuinely believed what I think I believe the mass is, there should be almost despair missing daily mass Mm. Mm. i do live out in the countryside so it's a it's a good half an hour drive to get to mass and there's only one and it's really early in the morning
2: excuses of the devil's work
0: (laughs) and i'm on a farm and we're working late at night uh summertime we're baling hay and there was a sense of look there's a bit too much on and i haven't had much sleep i'll go tomorrow and then thinking actually if i really did take to heart, if I really did believe what I think I believe, then I wouldn't be erring in this way.
2: I, um, I missed mess this morning. I don't even live on a farm. It's only a five-minute driveway. I was just totally lazy.
0: <laughs> the fact you're wearing a singlet while recording this podcast suggests you're telling the truth. <laughs> That's the mark of truth, isn't it? <laughs> ah, I see you're wearing a singlet. <laughs> Trustworthy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so the mass the mass has been going on for 2000 years now since the last supper we get a bit of commentary these days on um novus Ordo mass so or the new mass we're all used to versus a latin mass but there's a heap of other rites as well from other traditions from the eastern eastern churches and the is there a dominican a special dominican mass a dominican yeah rite? there
1: is there
2: is i presume that's in latin as well
1: uh, yeah i'd say so so, mm, so, so, so yes. for, for those but, who don't know what we're talking about here, go back before the time of the Second Vatican Council. The mass in the Latin rite, which is or the Roman rite, the mass was in Latin, and there was a significant change after the Second Vatican Council. In recent times, there's been a lot of arguments on the internet about whether the the new rite of the mass is heretical or whether it's legitimate. And you, particularly, you've got a lot of young people these days, going back to the traditional liturgy. I've, I've got a friend who often would be challenged by people at work. He, he, I think he was working for the diocese somewhere down south.
2: Down south as in somewhere else in Australia.
1: Yeah, pretty much. When you're right. in Darwin, everything down south. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a catch-all phrase. I've never heard that. that
2: before. But <laughs> I, well, it's like the way West
1: Australians talk about the East, you know, everyone. Over everyone East. Over the-
2: everyone, everyone who's not in Perth.
1: Exactly. It's just the Easterners over there. So, yeah, everyone down south. <laughs> it's, it's kind of my way of not, not our revealing identities here, if I'm talking about which diocese they're they particularly in. But um, whenever people said, you know, do you attend the, the traditional mass? And he'd just say, well, which tradition? How far back in the tradition? Because um, what, what we know as being the Tridentine Mass or you know, the mm. traditional Latin mass dates back to the Council of Trent, you know, so the 1600s. But there's a number of rites which go back earlier than that. So there's 20, 23 different liturgical rites in the Catholic Church.
0: Wow. Didn't realise there were that many.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like, like we're saying, some of them are very small. So like there's there's a Dominican rite. You know, there's a Carmelite rite. The Carthusians have got their own rite. And, you know, there's, there's certain they, they, things. They,
0: they, they earned that rite.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Carthusians are hardcore. <laughs> You've got the Ambrosian rite, which can only be celebrated in Milan, I think. Oh, right. To Bishop but Ambrose. In particular traditions in the church. You know, to simplify a whole long complicated history, originally you had a lot of different liturgical traditions in the Catholic Church. For the first thousand years of the church's history, transport and communication wasn't as great as it is now. Well, particularly after the fall of the Roman Empire, transport went very bad. And so local customs developed. Mm. And it was only many years later when the Pope tried, well, it was actually the emperor was trying to unite the empire by having one liturgy. And so at that point, Uh. they tried to say, okay, look, everyone needs to be on the same page here. But certain groups basically said, look, can we keep our own liturgy because we've been doing it for so long? And so that's where you end up with these particular different groupings. You've then also got groups that were uh sort of so sometimes they were orthodox churches that became catholic or they were yeah so you've got things like the ukrainian catholics they've got a very different right like it looks much more like an orthodox service mm-hmm. you so like i think
2: this. in the first couple of hundred years of the church rome out sort of on its own in europe mm-hmm. And the other the other patriarchs in jerusalem and
1: alexandria and alexandria
2: and constantinople and, and they're all quite close to each other yep so it sort of makes sense to me that those the orthodox liturgies and the eastern catholic liturgies which are the same sort of liturgy are sort of more similar to each other because there was more communication than they look like with the roman rite, which we're all much more familiar with because we all come from the roman tradition
3: Mm,
1: that's right. Yeah. So, so you've got a lot of the Eastern rites, such as the Ukrainians. You've got the the Malabar, which is very big in India, obviously. Um, you've got the Maronites. Um,
2: ah, the Lebanese.
1: Lebanese. Yep. There's like uh, there's an Ar- Armenian rite, and there's, there's the Coptic rite. This is
2: just this is just off the top of your head.
1: Oh, I, I'm just. Really? I can see. Anyway. I can see you looking down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just scrolling through here as we talk. Uh, Don't leave anyone else. Anyone else, they, they might get offended.
3: So,
1: um, is
0: this around the, the fourth, fifth century when Saint Jerome was translating the Old Latin and the Hebrew into the 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 new, or the Greek Latin? into Latin?
1: Oh, that that was the Scriptures he was
0: translating. Yeah, was that so, was that around the same time?
1: Uh, well, all, all of these rites were developing around that time. You're looking more around, it was sort of like around the time of the Emperor Charlemagne was when they started to try to unite one Western rite of of liturgy. But then you had other groups which were with the Orthodox Church that crossed back over to become Catholic. so
2: the one, the Anglican ordinariate, who I'd never heard of until recently. But apparently there are a bunch of ex- anglican tradition that have become catholic and they've kept their own uh liturgy which is m- probably more looks more like a translation of the latin mass maybe
3: yeah
1: yeah the uh the, the, the high anglicans look more catholic than catholics
3: do hmm. yeah
1: but, uh, but basically it's it's an amazingly beautiful diverse church and i think your average catholic needs to get around and and encounter these other liturgical rites because we Mm. we live in this little western bubble as we do in everything in our culture Mm. and we then get caught up in our own little petty arguments about who's right and who's wrong when actually it's saying you know what all of it's right you know (laughs) it's it's beautiful and diverse yeah Yeah. a lot of the stuff that floats around the internet about the new liturgy is it just needs a a good history lesson really you know that um there's a lot of rubbish going around about how the second Vatican council was all, you know, influenced by the Freemasons and all this sort of stuff. When actually what it was, it was people going back into the earliest documents about how the early church celebrated the liturgy. It was actually them reclaiming some of the earliest liturgical traditions, which is why I find this whole traditional liturgy versus new liturgy idea just ironic because, some of the elements that the Second Vatican Council brought in are much older than the Tridentine liturgy. So, for example, the second Eucharistic prayer uh, was, a, was, was basically from one of the earliest
0: Eucharistic prayers we have from St. Hippolytus. Oh, so, thank you. I was trying to remember his name yesterday. Thank you. Sorry, random. Thanks. Hippolytus. St. Hippolytus.
2: Not St. Hippopotamus. <laughs> no.
0: no. Hippopotamus. Hi- Hi- but he
1: just does happen to also be a saint who, for quite a while, was also an anti pope. He made him, he declared himself pope for quite a while and then was reconciled back with. Wow. The pope.
2: That's, a, that's a big comeback.
1: It is. It is. That's that probably a whole episode we could do in itself. So <laughs> Rege- I've always rejection. wanted to,
2: I've always wanted to, and I haven't yet, but been to a yeah, Eastern Catholic Ukrainian liturgy or a byzantine catholic divine liturgy they don't call it mass do they mass is the latin word missa
3: yeah yeah
1: yeah
2: yeah haven't done it yet but there's some just down the road might be half an hour's drive away so maybe i'm pretending i live on a farm so i don't get there
1: no you should go even if you drop into one of the orthodox churches there's um the ukrainian orthodox church in perth uh one of my uncles is actually a deacon there oh wow so he grew up catholic like, you I assume, like your normal Catholic, having no understanding of the Mass, and then somehow came across the Orthodox liturgy and realized this is the most beautiful thing he's ever encountered. Mm. And so he converted to become Orthodox, and is now a deacon.
0: It is quite stunning. that The few times that I did walk into an Orthodox church, once in Canada at a Ukrainian Orthodox church, and a few times in Russia, while I was walking through there, there was absolutely something extraordinary it really it was without needing to try it was something quite visceral about this being the divine liturgy Mm. it was easy to see really beautiful in particular there's a church in russia there were only seven people there for saturday night vespers i don't think i've ever heard such beautiful singing I don't know whether they practice practiced or it's just the and fact that it was, that in it was in a Russian. small town. And it was in Russian.
1: Singing is really important for the Orthodox liturgy. So you, from what I understand, you can't be ordained as a priest unless you can sing mm. because it's so central to their way of celebrating oh, the wow. liturgy.
3: Wow. Yeah.
2: And um, typical way people receive communion in the East is by having the blood of Jesus dripped into your mouth from a golden spoon
1: by the priest. Is that? I think it's a little bit different in each particular expression of the Orthodox liturgy. Like I went to a Ukrainian Catholic mass one time and they they use leavened bread instead of the unleavened bread that we have. Mm-hmm. And the priest basically uses a spoon. He, he dips the bread in the wine and then drops it in your mouth.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah, so just really different.
0: But it's yeah. the same mass. It's mm. the same thing going on.
2: And it's the same body of Christ after yeah. consecration.
0: Yeah. Well, can we, uh, can we step through what the Mass is?
2: Quote Father Dave from a previous episode, the Mass is many things,
0: all at <laughs> once. <place." laughs> How many priests are there, Marty? <laughs> <laughs> so as in
1: trying to go through the structure of... Yeah, the of actual the...
0: structure of it. Because I, I want to begin with something that's actually, as far as I understand it, is pre-Mass, that being the opening hymn. As far as I understand it, that's actually not part of the liturgy. This is pre-liturgy. Oh. Is that correct? Can anyone verify this?
2: <laughs> I can verify all the words you said. You said.
0: <laughs> I'm sure if you
1: had five liturgists in the room, they'd all have different opinions on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, we just oh, it sit back and take bets. <laughs> That's
1: right.
2: So I think just to start, start off with pre-liturgy, pre-mass, the best, not mandatory, but the best way to prepare for mass is to start thinking about early turn up early, read the readings of the day maybe, uh, say a prayer, ask Jesus to show himself to you during this Mass um, and ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart during them. you know, a little bit of preparation like that could go a long way. St. Mm. Thomas Aquinas' prayer before Mass maybe.
1: Yeah. And and I suppose the, the the opening hymn is meant to be doing that for us as well. Like it's meant to be, bringing us into a space of recollection that we actually realize what we're about to celebrate. Mm. So I suppose as you go through the mass, so it's obviously we start with the opening you know, sign of the cross. The first thing we do is we ask for forgiveness.
3: Mm.
1: What, one of the things so many people ask me as a priest is, you know, can I receive the Eucharist if I haven't gone to confession? And the, the whole point of it is that there, there, there's a number of times through the mass where we are asking God's forgiveness to prepare us. Because no one's worthy, no no one's ever in a state to really receive Christ in the Eucharist. But that opening penitential rite, I often get the impression that's where most people just kind of stare at the ceiling and wait for the priest to keep talking again. But you're genuinely meant to be examining your heart, you know, and it's like confession almost, like you're meant to bring all your sins before God and then ask for forgiveness
0: i going to take a pause for a moment while Marty gets his dog under control. There's enough kids here. They should be able to sort this out.
2: <laughs> penitential right. Like the penitential right is Lord have mercy. Christ have, mercy, have, Lord mercy. have mercy. But there's is there's another option, isn't there? Because we don't always say that, do we?
1: Yeah, there's a number of different ways of doing it. Yeah. Um, You can also do the the confetti. you know, the I Confess to Almighty God. I Confess to Almighty God to my brothers
2: and sisters.
3: And And there's
1: a third option, which no one ever does, but occasionally you'll hear a bishop pull it out and you could just... (laughs) There's been a few times where, you know, I've been in like a cathedral and a bishop's ripped out the third version of the penitential rite and maybe two people in the church respond and everyone else is just shuffling their feet thinking...
3: Are we at the
0: right liturgy? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Don't leave us hanging.
1: Uh, I've, got, I've got a missile need to use it. Um, <laughs> I'd have to look it up because I, I never use it for that reason because no one in the congregation knows it.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you actually, at the end of the confetti, you actually give absolution, don't you? Yeah, it's virtually like that. It's you when know, Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. You know, So, yeah, it's... We, we believe that that brings forgiveness of all venial sins. Mm. So if you are in a state of mortal sin, you need to go to confession. And I think if you don't understand the difference between mortal and venial sin, go back and listen to the previous episode about reconciliation.
2: And then go to confession.
3: And then go to confession. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Cover so, the bases. So isn't that, I mean, that's, I just
2: think that's amazing to start with, that the church, through the very first piece of the liturgy, we confess our sins in a way venial sins and are purified to participate in the rest of the liturgy and ultimately receive communion.
1: And in fact, even before you've entered the church, because the traditional understanding is that as you bless yourself with holy water, that is able to be a, an act of God forgiving your venial sins. Uh, because it's back, like a reminder of your baptism. So back in the time when we were allowed to have holy water. Yeah. Hand sanitizer mm. doesn't count.
2: So but, I noticed some churches have Canisters of hand sanitizer mixed with holy water that you can uh, use, <laughs> and other churches just have just have hand sanitizer.
1: But once again, the the symbolism of that is: I walk into church already repentant and reminding myself of my baptism, so that I'm already ready to go in. So yeah, the, the whole liturgy is filled with God's mercy.
2: That that does a lot to I feel justified, and I spent I've spent years at the particularly end of mass, dipping my fingers in the holy water and then flicking my kids in the face with it. Not like mainly to annoy them, but really that was that was a symbol of their baptism. They hate it.
1: <laughs> You're probably leaving them into sin, Marty, rather than giving them sins. Well, it is one of the joys like, of being a priest that you can throw holy water at people and get away with it. I, don't, I talk to other people's children.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are a few priests who take a little bit too much delight. Yeah, yeah. flicking holy water people yeah yeah Yeah. now marty i happen to know that one of your favorite parts of the mass is just prior to the eucharist which is obviously your favorite part of the mass Uh, and the the prayer that we pray based on the roman soldier which also comes back to a confession of sorts lord i'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof would only say the word and i shall be healed go i just think it's a bit of a misconception i spent my whole childhood listening to
2: this prayer which we say before communion lord i'm not worthy to receive you under my roof but i say the word of my soul shall be healed which is taken from one of the gospels the, the roman soldier or centurion's profession of faith to jesus and i have just i'd listen to this my whole childhood thing this i'm not worthy i'm not worthy i'm not worthy you know that's sort of the point of it which is i think a sub point of it because the guy goes to Jesus and says, my servant or daughter or someone is, is dying. Can you, can you come and heal him or her? I can't remember. And, and Jesus says, yeah, I'll come. And he says, you don't need to come to my house. And with the context of you're a Jew and I'm a Gentile, and if you come to my house, you'll be ritually unclean. You'll have, you know, you'll have to go through your Jewish ceremony to become clean again, that kind of thing. But what he says to Jesus is, you don't need to come to my house because I understand authority. I've got men that work for me in the army, so I've got soldiers, and when I tell them to come, they come, when I tell them to go, they go, when I tell them to jump, they say, how high, sir, and when would you like me to come down? And he says, you don't need to come to my house, you just say the word and the sickness will leave because you have authority.
0: An act of faith. Mm. By the way, Marty, has anyone ever told you that you talk a lot like Christopher Walken? (laughs) No, they haven't. Do I walk like Christopher (laughs) Talken? You know, he pauses in the middle of sentences. <laughs> I might edit those out. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a bit, there's a bit, there's a bit both ways though, that, because there is a genuine confession, "I'm not worthy," because he does say but, that. But I'm also not then a confidence that but then, God wants yeah. to forgive, mm. hmm. which, which is probably in of itself the beautiful balance that is often missing. We can easily swing one way or the other.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Hmm. So jumping back to the beginning of the mass again, because <laughs> yep. we, we always have a tendency to skip over stuff and go right to the end. So it's after a, where you 're heading: Yeah, after the penitential rite, they have an opening prayer, which is technically called the Collect, because it 's like a gathering prayer, everyone beginning the mass in, in that common understanding on a Sunday mass or a feast you normally go into the Gloria. Glory uh, glory always fascinates me. It's one of these most beautiful prayers of worship, but it feels like everyone sort of prays it like a bit of a chore, almost.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Glory to God in the (laughs) (laughs) highest. Actually, you know what it reminds me of? The other day, one of my sisters celebrated her birthday and the kids had discovered that you can talk to Google. And they said, Google, sing happy birthday. And Google started to say it. (laughs) <laughs> Which is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek way of doing it, but you're saying, "Happy birthday to you." Happy... Oh, sorry, Google just talked to me through my headset. <laughs> sorry. So they should say, Google, sing the Gloria. <laughs> it might be as good as mass. It could be. Hang on one second. <laughs> hey, Google, sing the Gloria.
1: And just an FYI, you can always say something like, "Set the volume to three.
2: Right. I think um, she might um. Siri might belong to a different right.
0: Yeah, I think Siri just stalled. Where okay. are we up to? Gloria. So the Gloria, the Gloria should
1: actually be glorifying, <laughs> like yeah. it should be. Yes, it really should be an act of praise
0: rather than just like glory to God in the highest, on the earth peace to people of good And when you yeah. hear the Gloria sung with gusto, gusto, it is and it bells, is amazing, isn't it? Mm. Mm. And there's a lot mm. of bits in the liturgy like that, you know. I mean, this
1: is jumping forward again, but when we get to the gospel acclamation with the Alleluia, it's actually meant to be this great song of praise for the coming of Christ in the Word, whereas sadly most of the time all we get is Alleluia, (laughs) Alleluia.
3: And
2: and then there's another one a bit later, Uh, Alleluia.
3: Alleluia.
1: I believe in the instructions for the liturgy and actually says if it's not sung it shouldn't actually be said at all like just don't go there <laughs> like yeah. it should actually be this great song of praise
0: <laughs> you do it proper or not at all
1: yeah, ex- exactly
0: it's like having father dave come around for lunch yay father dave's here <laughs> yay <laughs>
1: welcome to our <laughs> house we're so glad you're here so obviously you're go going to the readings Interesting thing with the readings is that on a Sunday mass, there's always a link between the Old Testament and the gospel. Yeah. And I think a lot of people aren't quite clicked into that. Sometimes the link is a little bit obscure. It's maybe a bit like a cryptic crossword. You've got to don't they, try and did, work it don't, out a little bit.
2: Don't they do that so that priests can, their homily, like it's all there. You just got to, you got to work out what the link is and then you're it, away.
1: It's sort of pointing the priest saying, you really probably want to preach about this thing. But if he doesn't want to do that, he can preach about the second reading instead.
0: Who decided this? (laughs) Who put this, the the three-year cycle together? Because over the course of three years, within the liturgy, we cover most of Scripture. Not all, because there's little bits that are missed out in between. But you cover most of Scripture in a three-year cycle. Was this St. Augustine? Was this? I don't know. Any idea? I have no idea when it came about. Yeah, because as we said, there's been a number
1: of times where the liturgy's been revised really? and sometimes mm. it got more complicated sometimes it was simplified you know like as, as we mentioned before the the whole tridentine reform was actually a simplification of the liturgy from what it had been previously because mm. it was originally even more complicated elaborate you know, complex elaborate that, that's what i'm looking for mm. yeah i don't know
0: but it but is an amazing uh, structure i actually love that part that structure of the liturgy that over three years we do Essentially, a complete Bible study. And one study, of the interesting with things a
1: is that there's a number of Protestant churches that follow the same cycle. Mm.
3: Oh, wow. So
1: the Anglicans, I think the Uniting Church, they actually, there was, there was some agreement ecumenically that all of us would use the same lectionary. Uh, so, yeah, they all follow the same cycle of readings.
0: Okay, here's a big question What's the point of the liturgy of the word?
1: It's really all about conversion. You're like
0: like you you're basically it's it's like preaching
1: and then response like so the the readings are meant to draw us into the whole mystery of salvation so that we go deeper into conversion and and once again, therefore repentance, asking God for mercy, and we're then able to go deeper into that relationship as we receive the Eucharist, but yeah, like I think once again that often get gets missed we need really good preachers who can break that open for us. Cause, yeah. cause often you end up with readings, which the average person in the pew can't understand, you know, when you get some of the historical readings of the old Testament and they can't keep up with who's who, you know, your Nebuchadnezzars and your Mahershala al and
0: all this sort of stuff. <laughs> Did you just make that one up?
3: <laughs>
1: no, that's actually the name of Isaiah's son. Um, uh, whenever people were, on the rare occasion, young couples have asked me, what's a good biblical name for my child? I say, you should call them <laughs> Mahershalal Hashbaz. Let me try that again. Um,
0: <laughs> Actually, so Dave Batten, our last episode, our interview. Many years ago, I was at mass with Dave and it was a very small gathering after a school. Uh, we'd been in, in ministry at a school. So only a few of us had gathered there, some of the teachers. And Dave was invited to do the first reading. And he stood up and said, a reading from the book of, yeah, I can't pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> it was Ecclesiasticus. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a I real... On,
2: on other occasions, the link is quite plain to see. Yeah. And complaint, there have been times when, you, when you, hear the, you hear the readings, you go, that makes perfect sense. And then a homily, which, like, where on earth did you get that from? Were you listening to the same readings I was listening to?
0: Does the homily have to tease out or expand upon the readings not
1: necessarily you can break open an an element of doctrine um i believe it it even says you can talk about something which comes through in one of the prayers of the liturgy Mm, right because sometimes like if you actually listen to the opening prayer of the mass sometimes they're dense like they are yeah. they, it it touches on so much richness of the faith. You could do a homily just on the opening prayer sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So so they, there are different ways the priest can preach. And obviously depending on the gathering as well. Like if it's a like the context of a retreat, you're then gonna give more of a theme mm. based homily.
0: Or if it was a a, a martyr's day or we're celebrating the feast of a saint.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um do you have something to say, Marty? you I, I did. You
2: it. I did. It straight went out of my mind. So it can't be that important. I was going to say it's just it's about. It's a homily you've got to be about. It's about preaching. It's about building faith. You know, if you're saying something that's not that's not actually going to increase the faith in the people, you've sort of missed the mark.
1: Yeah, you you want to move people. Like they, they 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 need to finish their experience in mass in a very different space to where they began.
0: Mm. As you, as, you, as, nice. you began with, as you began with Father Dave, conversion.
1: Conversion, yeah.
0: Mm.
1: yeah. So ultimately you want to bring people back to the mystery of the death and resurrection. How does that apply to their daily lives? How does that transform them?
0: Mm. Mm. And
1: from there we
0: would normally move into the creed?
1: Yep, so the profession of faith. So once again on, on a Sunday or on a feast, it's kind of a recognition that we stand as a whole community of everyone around the world. And also everyone in heaven who has ever professed this creed. So once again, like well, I think we stand often and just re- recite it mindlessly. Mm. But I think it's good to remember those who have shed their blood for those words. You know, yeah. the the people who have made enormous sacrifices to preach those words. Um, like there's a lot of history wrapped up in that.
2: So you know how we've been every now and again, we touch on this, that God saves us not sort of just as individuals, but as, as a people, as a family, which used just reminded me of that. How does that correlate with the individual judgment and stuff?
1: <laughs> this is something that's been back, floating around my mind for a while. That is a big theological question. So,
0: and next week in Sons of Thunder.
1: <laughs> so as Catholics, we often talk about the fact that we are saved as a community. You know, so it's it's not just this individual focus. Yeah. But then as you're saying, we then get judged individually. I think really the way,
0: well. Well, hang on, can I throw something in here? It's going to be very difficult to be judged individually when what we're being judged on is our love. If we're entering into the Trinity, it's it's difficult to grow in love and sacrifice without others and without others loving us and sacrificing for us. It, it's very reciprocal.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously, the standard used to judge us is going to be different depending on the context in which we lived. Mm. So in Luke twelve forty-eight, where Jesus says, you know, the, the one who was given much, much will be demanded of them, but the one who wasn't <clears throat> given much, less will be asked of them. Yeah. So someone who's grown up in an environment where there is no faith you know their tiny little act of selflessness and love is going to mean a huge amount because mm-hmm. they're going against everything in their culture whereas for someone who has grown up in an environment of faith where it's just everything around them you know in in a sense you're kind of being carried by this current of mm-hmm. morality and, and faith around you so in that sense i think there is a communal element to our judgment i'm
2: thinking of god's words to solomon you know when he says i'll take the kingdom from you but won't be you it'll be your son but for the sake of your father david which is a different kind of you know context but gives this idea of the the relationship i had with someone else you know your father in your family and and his prayers for you etc that counts for something
3: mm. but yeah
1: as, as i said this, this is a big complicated question which we really can't do justice to here <laughs> <laughs>
0: When I bring it back to the creed, I absolutely love that the Nicene creed, I can't, I can't say the Nicene creed now without thinking about St. Nicholas, (laughs) right now that I know that there is a backstory to this, these are not simply words, there's a, the fighter's creed. The fighter's creed. Father Dave, you're talking about the the martyrs and and the spilt blood that is behind these words. Those Mm. who preached it, those who stood by it, a lot of them lost their lives. And then something like the the difficulty that went into writing the Nicene Creed, there was a lot of controversy at the time. And out of that controversy, we have this creed. We have Mm. a statement that says, well, this is what we've concluded. And it was was difficult for them to get it. And quite infamously, St. Nicholas, uh, we'll say slapped Bishop Arius at the time.
2: Punched Arius.
0: There's a lot going on. In these. They, aren't, they aren't simply words that we've just plucked out of scripture that are nice. Mm. There's, there's a lot of turmoil that went with these creeds. Mm. Mm. And again, we can, we can sit back in mass or stand in mass and, and simply rattle off some words. I often give students in re- reflection days in schools some words to rattle off about one of the pharaohs and his architect, Imhotep, who designed some pyramids. I'll actually grab it off Wikipedia. They rattle it off. And then I get, I say, okay, now I'd like to turn to the person beside you again, and this time rattle off these words. I give them some new words and the words that come up on the screen are, you're really attractive. And they suddenly struggle to say those words. They're suddenly very aware of the words they are saying. The Mm. first lot they can rattle off, it's English comprehension. The second lot of words, they mean something. And you'll see the guys in particular, all of a sudden become very physical with the guys beside them as they rattle off these words it really did have a big impact on me in learning about where the creeds came from, mm. who were the people behind it.
1: And I, I think there should almost be an element of real pride in us as we profess the creed, because we're saying like, this is us, like this is our heritage. Like, it, like as you say, it's not just what we believe. It's the fact that we are part of a 2000 year old community, which has fought very hard for these words and tra- and changed the world as a result of these words you know, there they really should be a sense of this is us. They, you know, we're proud of that. Mm.
2: The church is a lot bigger than anyone realizes. because mm. it doesn't include everyone in heaven.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Now, I, I think you could almost make a case for the creed being at the start of mass, but it's not. It's wedged right in between liturgy of the word and the Eucharist. Mm. I'd, I'd assume that, that there is a reason for that. Any idea why? I haven't looked this up, so I'm throwing out a bit of a curveball.
3: Well, I...
1: I suspect part of this was because of the the traditional division in the mass for those who were baptized and those who were preparing for baptism. So originally in the early church, when adults were preparing to be baptized, they were allowed to be part of the liturgy of the word. Mm, and then they, the would leave. To the they would leave at that point to go and get further training outside. And it was only those who were baptised, who are allowed to stay in the room from that point on. So this is just me guessing, but wow. I suspect the creed was there significantly as a way of saying, we profess this, we've been baptised in this. Mm. Mm. Mm.
0: There you go. Mm. Didn't know that. So from there, we do move into the liturgy of the Eucharist. Well, prayers of the faithful. Are they, uh, are they mandatory?
1: Well, the, the prayers of the faithful, from what I understand, was something reclaimed by the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. It was one of the things which I think... They, they found back in the early liturgy had been a, a thing of praying for the community. And so they, well, they yeah. reinserted it. I've,
0: I've actually only just read it. Uh, St. Paul's letter to Timothy. It's one of his, his instructions to Timothy as a Bishop mm. of, of what he should be dedicating himself to. Now, whether that has a liturgical context mm. is another question altogether. I don't really but like it. Like certainly him. an instruction.
2: I like the, let's <laughs> be, be honest. I like the, you know how at Easter we do the prayers of the church and there's a, the fixed <laughs> ones instead yeah. of the, Prez of the Faithful, and I just think they're meaty and um, really good. And the majority of the Prez of the Faithful that I've heard are sort of a bit pathetic.
0: So it's not necessarily Prez of the Faithful that you don't like. It's 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 the quality. Yeah, that's
2: right. I'd like them to be
0: um, big. Try and make your statement again, Marty, in a more positive way. (laughs) (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) So, Marty, this is where you need to just put yourself on a liturgical committee at your local church. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sort it out for them yeah.
2: <laughs> i did i did tell you that they dissolved the parish council after i got admitted to it
0: <laughs> anyway
2: anyway <laughs> into the uh liturgy of so the eucharist
1: once you get into the eucharist so obviously you've got the uh the offertory the offertory is actually a pretty significant part of the whole process because it's it's kind of symbolic of us bringing ourselves to the altar as well. As we bring the bread and wine, we're actually meant to be actually offering our own prayers and our own sacrifices to unite them with, with Christ. Which, once again, I don't think most people understand. Mm. That's what they're meant to be doing.
0: It's not just bringing forward the bits we need. Yeah,
1: as though we forgot to get it ready beforehand. And we've got to mm. bring it up from the back of the church.
0: Are you... um?
2: We're not doing offer trees these days because of COVID. Not really quite sure why that restriction like has much relevance, but but anyway, it 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 is. So that's even even worse because you're not even you're being organised beforehand. Not even bring the things we need, let alone the rest of it.
1: COVID's just destroyed liturgy. Really, <laughs> it's. Hmm. But obviously, then you, you, you then began the uh, Eucharistic prayer.
0: Actually, we, we should throw in here, too, that if anyone wants to listen to a, an entire episode dedicated solely to the Eucharist, go back about three episodes ago. In fact, there's a, there's a B section. We did a, a second follow-up one on Eucharistic miracles. Mm. At the moment, I think we'll just stick to the, the liturgy. So we begin with the Eucharistic prayers.
1: Yeah, so the structure of the Eucharistic prayer is how do I say this? Like it's, in its, in its raw sort of elements, it really hasn't changed since the early church. So when they, when, when they found there's some of the earliest documents about how the church celebrated the mass, it talked about how they would read the word, they would pray together, and then the priest would offer prayers of thanksgiving. And really in that, what we find is the elements of what we now celebrate as Eucharistic prayer. So th- I mentioned before about the earliest, well, one of the earliest written forms of the Eucharistic prayer we have was from St. Hippolytus. And very simply, it had the words of consecration, you know, kind of repeating the words of the Last Supper, and then going through thanking God and praying for key parts of the life of faith in the community. And so if you look at the Eucharistic prayer today, it's pretty much the same sort of thing. It always begins with a time of glorifying God and remembering that this is Jesus speaking to the father. So it's Jesus glorifying his father for the gift of the world and for the gift of creation. The priest then prays the words of institution to transform the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. And then proceeds to go into a series of prayers of thanksgiving and intercession for the church and the world. So each Eucharistic prayer is a little bit different in how it words that and if you were to go to all the different liturgical rites, you'd find that all the kind of externals are a bit different, but the actual key elements are the same.
0: Mm, mm. I've just remembered, I, have, I took a photograph at, in a church. I'd gone in for adoration in Sydney. And in the stained glass window, they had St. Justin Martyr. And they actually had written down part of his apologetics. Mm. And I've got a photograph here. I'm just going to read out what he's written here. So this is from the second century. So the 100s. A.D. and he's written on the day called Sunday, there is a meeting in one place and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. When the reader has finished, the president in a discourse urges and invites us to the to the imitation of these noble things. Then we all stand up together and offer prayers. When we have finished the prayer, bread is brought, and wine and water, and the president similarly sends up prayers and thanksgivings to the best of his ability, and the congregation assents, saying the Amen. The distribution and reception of the consecrated elements by each one takes place, and they are sent to the absent by the deacons. Those who prosper and who so wish contribute each one as much as he chooses to. There you go. That's mm. in the that's 100s. Sounds like mass. That's it. And that's the yeah. 100s. So
1: really, the, the, like, as I said, the, the, the essence of it hasn't changed. If you look through the history, often the, the wording or the emphasis at certain points has been adapted or changed. You know, like, but, the, but really, it's the basic things of praising God, worshipping him, interceding for the world. Um, mm. But as I said, I think the, the key thing to always remember is that it's actually Jesus praying. And and that's what makes it fundamentally different to any prayer that we would say normally.
2: So you know how um, if you've got a particular intention and you might ask a, your priest to say a Mass in particular for it, which is an enormously good idea because it's the biggest prayer we have. Mm-hmm. Um, different question, though. You know how you put some money in the envelope when you write your intention? How is that different to Simony?
1: So we've got to explain what simony is for those who don't understand so simony Sorry, we we're about
0: is... to talk about the eucharist and marty <laughs> says hey hold my beer <laughs>
1: <laughs> back in the acts of the apostles there was a guy by the name simon of Jesus, the sorcerer simon the magician or simon magus and he was basically trying to pay the apostles to get spiritual powers and bad stuff then happened to him because of that uh, so we've he, he's now gone down in history having basically created a sin named after him called simony so simony is paying for spiritual graces
0: that's
2: called infamy
1: isn't it (laughs) yes
0: marty had one too it's called martini
1: so I, i would say this is borderline um and it depends on the context so in some countries the diocese pays the priest and he gets a stipend and Mass offerings and things like that are just like extra payment. But then there are other countries where the diocese doesn't pay the priest a stipend, and mm. the only income he gets is through mass offerings. Yeah, um, right. mm. So, like, say in the Philippines, that's the case. Yeah. Right. Um. Personally, I. The
2: labourer does deserve his wages.
1: Well, yeah. Um. As I say, personally, I think that this is kind of borderline. It's really open to misinterpretation and corruption. As, mm. as MGLs, we actually made a decision very early on that we would not keep that money. Um, we'd give that money to the poor. And we always try to explain that to people in our parishes that you know, whatever you give us for a mass offering, it's going to be given to someone in need. But yeah, I, I, I am very aware that in some countries where that's the only income a priest gets, mm. there can be a real temptation to only work for wealthy people. And mm. you're not going to do, necessarily do sacraments for the poor people who can't afford to give you money for that Mm. so yeah i i've got opinions about this (laughs) (laughs) let's just put it it that way Uh,
2: and i've tapped into them
1: (laughs) (laughs) and i've got to keep the rest of them to myself all right
2: back to uh back to the eucharist (laughs)
0: <laughs> Marty, where were we up to? We were up to uh, – I think we were just getting to the end of the Eucharistic prayer. End of the Eucharistic prayer. The. Uh... I think this is an insight into what it's like for Marty in mass. <laughs> Eucharistic prayer, this is awesome. What am I doing on Sunday? I'm going barbecue. Oh, I like this bit. Okay, elevation of the host. Back on.
2: Straight after the words of consecration. Elevation of the host. Every single person in the church looks at the host and then bows down.
0: Yeah. Now, I was taught by a priest in Adelaide, as it turns out, uh, to actually say a, there's some prayers that went with that that i hadn't been taught as a child when the priest holds the eucharist aloft the host then the, the silent prayer being my lord and my god mm. words of saint thomas a statement of faith yeah. and then when the blood of christ is held aloft the prayer to be prayed being thank you lord for your sacrifice
2: the one i pray is um uh lord remember remember i'll have to remember
0: that's a really weird prayer marty (laughs) lord remember because i can't
2: (laughs) remember remember the sinner that you have redeemed with your blood remember the creature you have redeemed with your blood Mm.
0: Mm.
1: so those prayers would be more of like a devotional way of staying focused in the mass as opposed to actually being Mm. required Mm -hmm. in the liturgy mandated Mandated, yes it's interesting that there is actually a whole history around the elevation of the host that um From my understanding, originally it wasn't actually that big a thing, but as people's understanding of the Eucharist grew stronger, particularly as a result of some of the Eucharistic miracles around the turn of the first millennium, that part of the Mass almost became the whole focus, Mm. and they would almost be calling on the priest to hold the host up higher and longer, you know, so that they could adore the host. Mm. And it was almost as a result of that that we then got Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament Mm. as a separate Ah. thing in the church.
2: One Latin Mass that I went to that the church was so full and we couldn't get in, so we were outside in the sun, which was pretty bad here. But anyway, at the time of the elevation of the host, which the Latin Mass is perfectly well prepared for, people being stuck outside the church with the three bells, so you know that that's the time when the host being elevated, because you can hear the three bells then there's a pause then there's another bell when the priest puts it down, you know,
1: and now I know that it's, that I could
2: um, stop bowing down. I thought it was an amazing piece of practical liturgy.
1: And, and once again, back in the day, you would have had the church bells go at that time. Yeah. So wherever you were working around the fields or wherever, you would know to stop at that point and kind of turn to the church in adoration. Uh, so mm. there was a very strong, tradition around that worship of the eucharist i I was actually celebrating mass last saturday night and we had this absolute whopper of a thunderstorm come through and it was actually just there there was a number of times during the homily where i kind of said like the key point and then there was this big thunderclap to kind of back it up (laughs) but it was kind of at that final point where the priest holds up the host saying you know behold the lamb of god you know and And, as I was doing that, there was just this almighty thunderclap, so i yeah I was quite happy that God was just providing the sound <laughs> effects <laughs> through, wow. through the mass
0: as we enter into the the Eucharist, there is that tearing of the veil between the scene, the seen and the unseen mm. as such and, and we do we do remember the saints beginning with the Blessed Virgin Mary, and then we we, we often list the saints. At that point but we do enter into uh, a moment that i think would be almost overbearing if we could see it in its Mm. true form with the angels and the saints Mm. with all of heaven
1: Mm. i've I've sometimes made the comment that the fact that the mass is boring is probably god's greatest act of mercy because if we could actually see it for what it is it would kill us like we'll be so overwhelmed not only with the glory but also just the immense love I think God in his mercy has actually toned it down so much that we can cope with it. And every day we can just take this little baby step deeper into the mystery rather than just being hit by it in one big go. Mm. Which is kind of where I think if we understand that God in his mercy is is able to welcome in non-Christians into heaven, it would have to be a massive shock for them suddenly Mm. seeing the heavenly liturgy. Whereas I think for the average Catholic who's gone to mass every day, they're going to walk in and say, "Ah, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. You know, I've been here." Yeah,
2: I saw the I saw the sketch etching of this, but now I can see the real painting.
1: That's right. Yeah, they're, mm. they're, it's not going to be as much of a shock getting to heaven.
0: Mm. Mm. Oh, I reckon it'll still be a pretty substantial shock. It might be one percent <laughs> difference. So the Eucharistic prayers—I should say this. There's there's various forms, aren't there? Well, yeah. So Is in four, our four or five
1: in our current liturgy, there are four normal Eucharistic prayers. But then there are special Eucharistic prayers. Uh, So they're like prayers for special occasions, like for prayers for reconciliation and so on. There's a whole stack of them in the back of the Missal, which only rarely ever get pulled out by priests. But yeah, they're they're basically, once again, expressing the same sentiment or the same sort of prayer, but just in different ways, emphasizing different things.
2: And can you do like, because there's there's prefaces too, aren't there? There's choices of those. Can you go mix and match or do they need to go in like, they're normally like if you for... pick the second one, do you do the second Eucharistic prayer with it? or? Do you know? <laughs> oh,
1: they, there's certain times where you can do the options, other times where it's more specified. So right. like if it's a feast of a martyr, you've got to do the preface of a martyr. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Now obviously in churches these days, it's going to vary greatly uh, as to how we receive our Lord. A lot of people these days actually having to receive our Lord spiritually. not actually even able to get to mass Mm. they're in lockdown of some sort it's been a while now since we've seen reception of the blood of christ it's the host only
1: so once again that was a that, that was another thing that the second vatican council brought back basically saying that as they'd studied all the ancient documents they they found very clearly that people received both the body and the blood of christ as a result of that history, as, as people's awareness and reverence for the Eucharist grew stronger and stronger, there they, they basically became all these rituals around receiving communion to try and preserve the host and preserve the sanctity of that. And so that's where people only received the host or, or the body of Christ. Uh, but even then, very rarely, because the mm-hmm. culture emphasized the holiness of the Eucharist so greatly, People would often only receive the Eucharist once a year after they'd received confession. Whereas I think the Second Vatican Council was basically trying to say, look, back in the early church, there was this much bigger understanding that it's not just about the Eucharist. The Mass is bigger than just the Eucharist, even though that is so hugely important. It's actually also about the Word. It's also about the community. And it's, it's about receiving God's mercy. You know like like we 're actually made worthy to receive the Eucharist
0: well and those elements come back to what you said earlier about conversion as well
1: exactly yeah that's it, yeah, that
0: need for conversion, yeah, and the assistance that is offered mm. through the mass that's
1: right that's right, so I mean this is where we 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 constantly find this tension between the transcendent glory of God but also the closeness of god and and very rarely can anyone hold those two in tension, so mm. In the church, you either find people who are so in awe of the holiness of the Eucharist that they won't go near it or other people who are so blasé about it. You know, they just think, oh, buddy Jesus loves us no matter what we do. Slam dunk Jesus. And so, yeah, they they just receive the Eucharist when they have been thinking about it. Whereas really we've got to try and hold this tension, which is really like the tension of the incarnation, you know, the, Mm. the divine God who becomes human and wraps his arms around us.
0: Yes. So perhaps we can finish here with maybe some recommendations.
2: What about, what about the, the concluding, right?
1: The f- most important bit of the whole mass, the whole reason why it's called mass. <laughs> Come again. I'll take a,
0: I'll take a step back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you understand why it's called mass?
3: No.
2: Was it called ben? mass?
1: No. It comes from the Latin.
2: It comes from mister in Latin, isn't it? Yeah. What does
1: that
0: Basically mean? Basically means get mission. out of it. Mission. Oh, the mission means go, the commission.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the, the, the reason we call it the Mass is basically because at the end of the Mass, the priest says, go on, get out of here and take the good news. Ah, You're meant to now – you've received Christ. You've now got to take Christ to the world. And so (laughs) it it almost kind of seems strange that way when you say, I'm going to Mass, (laughs) when Mass is actually trying to say, you're meant to go out into the world. Mm. But once again, this is the – this is central to the whole thing, like the very reason we call it the Mass. But how many times do you genuinely leave with the intention of going out on mission? Yeah. And mm. and even even just being conscious of the fact that even if you're not actively preaching, you are taking Christ to the world. Like, like yeah, you become, just for loving people. You become the living tabernacle. Mm. If, if you look at those images of when they have like Corpus Christi processions, walking the Blessed Sacrament through the city centre, that's you as you leave the church. So you should walk out of the church and walk down the main road. As
2: a monstrance.
1: As a monstrance, carrying the glory of Christ and do it intentionally.
2: And that
0: includes when- in the church car park, trying to leave. <laughs> I think we talked about this
2: previously, but uh, I think it was Therese of Lisieux talked about business time straight after receiving communion, mm.
3: at
2: the time to be Praying to the Father, you know, having received Jesus into you, being having been received into Him, don't waste that opportunity,
1: and particularly areas where you want healing and transformation, mm. because I mean, once again, therese Lazzio talks about the fact that in one of her poems, she, she she talks about how she basically holds the Trinity captive as a prisoner. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's in one of her poems called "To Live by Love," she she talks about how. She holds the Trinity as a prisoner, love-locked by her. In, in having received Christ in the Eucharist, she kind of has the Trinity to do her bidding almost. You know, it's like, come on, mm. you're in me now. Go and heal me, you know, transform me, do something
0: in me.
2: I only say the word and my soul shall be healed.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's it's from conversion to conversion, from our own conversion to those outside the church and from transformation to transformation. In being converted, in being transformed, we then take that out to those in wider society for this. Well, exactly. Right? Like it, as, as it
1: says in first letter of St. Peter, to, to always give a reason for the hope that's inside of you. I think the reason why Catholics don't evangelize is because we haven't actually experienced transformation a lot of the time. If, mm-hmm. if we had, we'd be desperate to tell about it. Mm-hmm. And so, so it starts as you receive the Eucharist, you need to be saying, Jesus, I want healing for this. You know, I want you to try and convert me in this area. You know, Whatever it is you're struggling with, but then go and tell the story of the glories that God's worked in you and witness it to other people. Yeah. But I think also remember the power of what it is. If, you know, if you've got a couple of hundred people at church and you've then got a few hundred people walking out into the world carrying Jesus with them, that's immensely powerful in the spiritual battle. Mm. I remember years ago hearing a story of a woman who had been very involved in witchcraft and experienced this very powerful conversion to become catholic but in the midst of this talk she 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 said that one of the reasons why witchcraft and the occult has been able to spread so widely in the last few decades is because there's not as much sacramental grace in society as there was back in the day and so so going back 40 50 years ago so many people were receiving the eucharist even if they were not understanding what they were doing and then taking Christ into the world, mm-hmm. evil simply could not do its thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas now you've got huge chunks of society where that grace is not penetrating or that light is not penetrating. And so evil can easily do what it, what it does. Mm-hmm. I remember because I, I was on youth mission team at the time we heard this talk. And so we talked about our mission was going to be loitering for Jesus. You know, we'd, <laughs> we'd go to mass and then we'd just go down to the local shopping area and just loiter. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just, just Just be the presence of Christ there, or whatever
2: your team was holier than mine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we just talked more rubbish than yours did, <laughs>
2: so right at the end of mass, something that confused me as a kid was uh, while we said thanks peter God
1: because that's god's name.
2: Well, I was you know I was thinking I know Peter was the first Pope, but he was different to Jesus, surely, and um, it took took a long time before I realized that that was actually B2 instead
0: of Peter. <laughs> I couldn't understand why the Philippians got a letter written to them, the Filipinos.
1: Oh, the Filipinos. Yes. Yeah. St. Paul's letter to the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no mention
2: I, of no mention St. Paul's third letter to the Corinthians. Dear Corinthians, having a great time. Please send more money. <laughs> Paul.
1: Yes. I, I have met many people who thought that God's name was Peter because of, uh, thanks Peter God. I also met a guy once who was really upset that we, he thought we were saying that God wasn't in heaven. Because we were saying our Father who aren't in heaven.
0: <laughs> we pray that you'll get there soon. <laughs> yes. Time to, um, time to be sent
2: out. Yes, go in peace. To love and serve the Lord.
0: Thanks, Peter God. <laughs> Holy Father, we thank you so much for this time we've been able to spend together. We thank you so much, Lord, for the of the mass, of everything, the graces you give us for a deepening of conversion, and a deepening of our capacity to receive love and to love those around us, and then the mission we are sent out on as a result, and the the blessing that that is. We pray, Father, that you would continue to bless Father Dave and all our priests, all those who bring you into the world in, in such an incredible way. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us with a deeper understanding of your love and with the humility to receive your love and to carry it into the world we pray this in your name lord jesus amen 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 a lady seat of wisdom pray, pray, pray for us, us. you're gonna give us a blessing
1: <laughs> can't end without a blessing <laughs> so lord we just pray you bless us particularly bless all of us wayward priests that we will be holy and worthy enough for what we need to be doing lord pray you bless your father son holy spirit amen
0: amen amen
1: Thank
2: you. All right, do you want to send that over, Sam? I'll uh, I'll work on this monster. Try and get under two hours. <laughs> Good luck.
1: There was nearly two hours. My goodness.
2: An hour and a half. An half. An hour. Hour. it can be an hour.